Um, Acts chapter 4, the, the disciple are, are Peter and, and them are preaching and they get hauled off to court. Uh, Acts chapter 5, we, we see Ananias and Sapphira and, and the seriousness that God takes about his church. And um, then last, uh, then at the end of Acts chapter 5, we see the idea that uh, it costs to follow Jesus. Acts chapter 6 is a transition somewhat, because in Acts chapter 6, we come to, up until now, um, a lot of the stuff has been outside the church. The persecution has been outside. Ananias and Sapphira introduced this idea of the purity of the church and, and started to deal with some inside stuff. But when we get to Acts chapter 6, this church, the, and again, at this point, it's not called the church. They're not called Christians. Um, historically, they were known as people of the way. Uh, there's no formal thing. There's just a whole bunch of people who are following Jesus, and, and they're meeting together on a regular basis, and they're taking care of one another, and, 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 and a problem comes up because this thing is growing, and this thing is growing fast. We're about five months past Pentecost, and this thing is starting to snowball, and there's more and more people, and as there's more and more people, the church has to figure out how you take care of more and more people. And so, and again, it's not, like, um, it's not like there's a mega church where everybody comes in and meets on a, on a given day and then leaves. It's, it's one of those things where these people are meeting around in houses and corners and together and these places kind of all over. And there's, so it's kind of this disorganized slash organized kind of thing. And the church starts to have some internal issues. And they have to figure out how to solve them. And so that's where we are in Acts chapter 6 this morning. And uh, it's an interesting dilemma. And, and we learn a lot of things about the church and about leadership and about problem solving and all those kinds of things that I think will help us because in some ways, some of the same issues they, are, they faced are some of the same issues that we are in the middle of and, and, and are just around the corner for us. So it's a good place for us to be this morning for a little while. So... Um, Acts chapter 6, here's what, uh, here's what it says, verse 1. Uh, starting, uh, it says, Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. All right, let's define what all is going on here so you understand it. The Hebrews, what happened was at, at Pentecost and after Jesus ascends into heaven, Jewish people who had come for Pentecost had gotten saved, and more people had gotten saved. Well, there were two groups of people who would come to Pentecost to celebrate Pentecost and Passover. One was Jews. They were known in this text as the Hebrews. Um, the Jewish people were people who um, li- would, would live by the Old Testament. Um, they often would read and speak Hebrew. They So... When they were looking at their, their, the, the Hebrew Bible, they would, they would look at the Old Testament in Hebrew. Um, they adhered to the law very strictly. There was another group known as the Hellenists. The Hellenists were Jewish people who adopted the Greek language and a lot of the Greek things. They were still Jews, but they were Greek Jews. So when they would study the Bible, they would study the Bible in the Septuagint. That's the Greek version of the Old Testament. They would bring in some of the Greek ideas. So they weren't so strict as some of the Jews were. Well, 
what happened was a lot of these Hellenists had come to Passover and had come to Pentecost, had gotten saved and decided to stay. So now they're hanging around with this group called the People of the Way or the early church or Christians that we would refer to them today as. And so you have these people who came from a Jewish background and these people who came from a Hellenistic background. Now, in the Jewish world, there was a way that they took care of people. Now, again, and you have to also plug this into it. Because these people had stayed, now they got to find jobs and they got to find housing and they got to find all of these other things because they're hanging around now. The Jewish people... And again, we're talking about the Jewish world, not the Christian Jewish world. But the Jewish world, they had two ways of taking care of people. Here's what they did. The first group of people they took care of was their own. And so if you were a Jewish widow, um, here's what they would do. On Friday, you would come to the synagogue, and they would give you enough money for 14 meals. That's how they took care of their widows. So if, because again, in that culture... You know, there was no Social Security. There was no government programs. There was nothing. So if your husband, who was providing for you, died, if you didn't have kids to take, you, take over, you were on your own. So the Jewish people, and again, Jews are, are, are really family-oriented, they started saying, well, we're going to take care of the widows. We'll take collections, and then we'll let them come in on Friday, and we'll pay for 14 meals for the next week for them. And that's what they would do. They had another system for people who were not Jews. And in that system, what they would do is they would go door to door for people who were foreigners or people who were visiting or that kind of thing, and they would provide them a meal and bread and water, food and water, for that day. And they would go house to house. What we assume is that what the Christian people did is they kind of took the, bo- the, the, the best of both worlds, so to speak, for this. And what they did, it appears, is they would take the widows and they would daily go to the widows' houses and they would make sure that they had food and stuff like that for the day. And then they would go to their next house. And that was their system of taking care of one another. Now, here's the problem. The Hellenists came in and said, hey, you ain't taking care of our people. You may be taking care of them Jewish widows, But the Hellenistic widows, you guys are missing them completely. And they came to the disciples and the apostles with this problem. Okay? Basically, if you want to get right down to it, they're accusing them of being prejudiced. They're accusing them of of this being intentional. Um, When you read the language, it has this idea of there's this intended thing where you are sliding us on purpose. Okay? Notice what happens. Go into the next verse, and here's what it says. Uh, Verse 2. Uh, guys, there we go. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So here's what happened. The disciples now say, look, guys, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this. Look, guys, if we take our time to do this, then we can't do this. That's the problem. And we believe that God has called us to do this. They didn't say there wasn't a problem. 
They just said, if we go and take care of this problem, we can't do both. So, here's our suggestion. You go, and you seek out from among... Oh, see where it says serve tables? Okay. There's two Bible ideas here, and, and either you can pick either one or both of them if you want. One Bible idea is that they were physically talking about going and serving them food. The other Bible idea is the idea of tables has the idea of money. Because they needed money in order to pay for this. And it was the idea of collecting money. So, you know, they could be saying, you know, we don't have the time to go and serve the people or we don't have the time to go and collect the money. Um, either ideas could, could, could play out here. But he says, you know, that, that we can't do that because this is what we need to be doing. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven, first of all, from among you. So he said, all right, I need you to go pick guys from your little group. And he gave them a number, seven. And they need to be of good, or seven men, okay? And it's like, okay, so why men over women and da-da-da-da-da? Okay, this is not an anti-woman thing, okay? Here's my whole philosophy on this whole thing as far as men in leadership and that kind of thing. I don't have any problem getting women to volunteer. But guys... So we have found the only way to get men to volunteer is to do what the military does and voluntold them. <laughs> That's kind of our philosophy. Our philosophy is we believe that men should lead and men are not going to naturally lead and men don't want to lead, so we're going to push them into leadership because we should. And it, so here's what he said. He says, uh, you pick out seven men, notice the, notice the requirement, full of the Holy Spirit, so, in other words, we want spiritual guys and wisdom, practical people. We don't want people who just all book stuff. We want people who, who know how to do stuff kind of thing, who are practical. And you know what I'm talking about. There are people who, you know, when you talk to them, it's all this theory and theory and theory. It's like, it's like pastors, you know. Um, it, you know, my, my, let me give a better illustration. Parenting. I don't believe you could tell anybody how to parent until you've raised a teenager. My philosophy on parenting, okay, um, is that once you've raised a teenager, now you're qualified. And you know what? When you talk to them, you know what they'll go? I don't know how to do it. Um, why? Because they've raised a teenager, you know. Uh, but, but it's kind of that idea where we want some people with some practical experience, like me. When I go to a pastor's conference, you know how I pick which speakers to listen to? by how long they've pastored. So this past conference that I was at, I picked guys that have been in this thing for a long, long time. You know, um, because that's, there's some wisdom there. There's some practical wisdom there. And that's what he's saying. I want, want people with wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. He said, look, you come to us with seven guys, meet these qualifications, and that way we can keep focusing on doing what we're doing, which was praying and preaching. He said, you let us be able to do that, you go do this. Now, notice what happened. Verse 5. <clears throat> and, they, and the same pleased the whole multitude. So they said, we want you guys to pick them. We don't even have time to go pick them. You pick out who you want and bring them to us and, and, and we'll do this. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He's going to become a big player here in the next couple of chapters. And Philip, <clears throat> uh, 
Stephen and Philip are mentioned again in the book of Acts. The other five guys are not. Um, the only guy we really know about is Procreus, and that, that's because uh, there's some historical references to him. He ends up actually being a martyr um, in Antioch. Um, and then uh, Nicanor, Timon, Farmius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Here's what's interesting about this. All of those guys, those are all Greek names. In other words, they didn't pick Jewish guys to solve the problem. They picked Greek Jews to solve the problem. Now, I think there's a lesson there for us. You know, the disciples are like, look, we don't have an agenda here. You want to go pick seven Greek Hellenistic guys to take care of the problem? Great, go pick them. We're okay with that. And so these guys picked seven guys. And again, if you think this makes sense, doesn't it? If the problem is the Hellenistic widows are not being taken care of, who better to know who the Hellenistic widows are than Hellenistic Greek Jews? That makes sense? And so they picked these guys. And notice what happens next. Um, verse uh, 6, going on, guys. Whom they sat before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid hands on them. That was a way in the Old Testament, New Testament, of transferring authority or that kind of thing. You're going to see it in the book of Acts in, in uh, healing. You're going to see it in the book of Acts in commissioning, those kinds of things. Uh, and then notice what happens. Verse 7, the word of God spread. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. They even start reaching the Jewish communities um, in, in this context. And the church goes forward. Here's what you need to understand. This could have, and you're going to see this in the book of Acts, this could have been a decisive, a divisive thing that split the church. But instead, it was a thing that was handled very quickly. They kept moving forward, and everybody kept their focus. And that's what we want to learn from today as a church. So I think there are a couple of lessons in here for all of us, okay? Not just us as a church, but specifically for us as, as a church, but specifically for us as individuals. Here's the first thing. Unity is so important for anything to go forward. I didn't say uniformity. I said unity. There's a difference. It is so important that everybody's on the same page. You see, if you haven't figured this out for yet, you, you need to understand this. Um, one of, the, one of the focuses of Scripture is that God is one. There's a unity in the Trinity. And, and, and unity is a big part of, of Christianity as well. Think about this for a second. If unity is such a big focus, and you are Satan, what do you need to do? Yeah, split them up. If unity is the key to a great marriage, then how do I ruin a great marriage? Split them up. If unity is so essential to a job that everybody is working on the same page with the same goals, with the same philosophy, with the same mission, how do I ruin a company? Split it up. Get somebody doing their own thing. Get somebody going Rambo on everybody. I mean, that's all I got to do. It's the same thing with the church. You see, it, it, when the church is all on the same page and everybody's working together, which is what was happening in Acts, how did, what does Satan do? He persecutes it from the outside, tries to get them beaten and thrown in prison and stuff, and that doesn't work. Then he works on the inside, Ananias and Sapphira. 
gets them to lie, tries to create uh, dishonesty within the church. That doesn't work. So what's he do now? He throws in this simple little thing. You're not taking care of our people. A little bitty thing. But it had the oppor- it had the power to destroy the church if it wasn't handled right. And notice, they come to the disciples. I give them credit because they did come to the disciples. They came to somebody who could solve the problem. And the way that the problem gets solved is what? They become part of the solution. I think there's a great principle there. We'll get to that in a second. But first thing that you see is this idea here of unity. Listen, you need to understand this. That is exactly what Satan will do in your life. If you're married... All Satan's got to do is get you and your spouse on separate pages. That's all he's got to do. Got to get you working on your agenda and your spouse working on their agenda. Is this not what children do instinctively? I want something. What do I do? Do they ever come down and say this? Mom and Dad, I'd like to sit down together and talk to you about what I would like to do. Is that the way it works? No, what do they do? They figure out which parent will let them do it. And then what do they do? They divide and conquer. They go to that parent and talk to them. And then <laughs> our kids learned at an early age that Gene and I talked. Because they come to me and they go, well, what'd your mom say? And they go to Gene. And you know what she'd say? What'd your dad say? And they were like, I remember one time Josh got so frustrated, he said, both of you, come in here, sit down. All right, I need an answer. I'm tired of going back and forth, you know, trying to get an answer. Why? Because they know. We knew that parenting, one of the key to parenting is stand on the same page as a spouse. For those of you that are divorced and you're dealing with the blended family thing, my heart goes out to you because I know, I know Satan is in the middle of this thing and using that as a leverage all the time. And I understand that. My heart goes out to you in those situations. Um, And, you know, you need wisdom like Solomon had wisdom to know how to navigate some of that stuff. But you need to understand, for those of you that are married, that, look, that's how Satan will destroy your marriage. He'll get you on your page and you on another page. And I've watched this play out so many times. And I've watched dads do their thing and moms do their thing and everything's fine, okay, until the kids go. And then when the kids go, mom and dad go, we're two strangers in a room, we're out of here. Satan will do everything he can to put a wedge in your relationship. Don't let him. As a church, Satan will do everything he can. See, here's what happens. When, when, when we as a church start focusing on the nitpicking thing, then what happens? All of our time, energy, and effort spent over here. And we can't do what we need to be doing over here. And that's, what's, that's what the disciples realized. They said, wait a minute, guys. If we take our time to go deal with all this and start doing all this, then this over here, the ministry of the word and prayer, is not going to get done. So we can focus here. Let's go get you guys to solve this. And that's what has to happen. And it is so important because Satan, and, and listen, in Satan, if you think about it for a minute, the la- think about the last fight you had with your spouse. Okay? I mean, you gotta go back a ways. But um, the last fight you had with your spouse, was it anything big? Right or wrong? It was over some stupid, little, insignificant, silly kind of thing, wasn't it? You know? 
Why? Because that's what happens. We, we get focused on this, you know, well, how dare she not put that in the dishwasher? Really? I mean, listen, if the extent of your day is, I can't believe my spouse forgot to put this in the dishwasher, you got a pretty good life. You really do. Um, you know, but so many times, and, and you need to understand, Satan works very hard to destroy the unity. We are very fortunate here. And that as a church, and as a board, and as a pastor, we have just about everybody on the same page. But you need to understand this. Satan is not going to just simply let that go by without trying to affect it. And so you have to step back from time to time and go, all right, what's the big picture here? What's the big picture? You know, you know me. I didn't want windows in a new building. Still don't want windows in a new building. I still don't want windows in a new building. I actually helped put the windows in the new building. But you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when we put them in, it wasn't enough. People wanted more. So we put two more in. Everybody goes, are we going to put any more in? Not under my, I mean, you know, you bury me under one of them maybe. I don't think we can put any more in there. But you know what? What was the big picture? Is it really that important? Really, really, my world it was. But it's not about my world. You know, everybody's going, oh, we've got to have windows, we've got to have windows, we've got to have windows. I said, well, it's going to be hard on the projectors. It's going to be hard on this and hard on that and hard on that. And they go, well, we can put up screens. And I'm like, why are we putting them in windows and we're going to put up screens over them? We're going to put blinds up so you can't see them. Why are we put windows in? You know what? I don't care. I put the windows in. And now we're going to work on fixing the windows because we've got a little leak one little place. It's driving us nuts. And, you know, if you can go, well, see if you want to listen to me. Um, <laughs> you know what? If that keeps us all on the same page, and that's what a majority of the people here wanted, I'll put in the windows. I still think I'm right, but I'll put in the windows, all right? Why? Because it's about the big, big picture. And it is so important that we realize, and as we go forward, believe me, we're going to get in a lot of decisions about this and that and this and that and how we do that. And that. You know, we've got to change the way we do children's deal because now the stage is up higher so you can see it. And so we're trying to figure out how we get little kids on the stage and, you know, all this other. And we're going to put the kids on the stage and everybody wants to see their faces. And then, you know what? It's a big picture. It's a big picture. Make sure that as you go forward in your life that you watch and protect the unity. Because it is so important. It is so important with your friendships. It's so important in your relationships. It's so important in your marriage. It's so important in your church. It's so important in your job. Okay? Don't miss out in the big picture. And that's what the disciples were saying. Look, if we go spend our time here, then we don't have time, then, then, then that's not going to get done. Second idea is this. Unfortunately, as a church grows, organization is necessary. And I don't like that. Because I, I see churches go two extremes. They're, on one hand, there's a church that's so organized, it's like a, it's like a Fortune 500 company. There are so many levels in order to get anything done that nothing gets done. 
You know, that's why we don't, let me explain to you our, our philosophy of decision-making when it comes to committees. Whoever's standing around gets to make the decision. So we were trying to figure out a way. We realized that since we do volunteer deals on the carpet thing, we realized that um, when we go into that building, we've got twice as much carpet as we have here, that it's going to be a nightmare for cleaning and stuff like that. So we went to, well, first of all, so we went to the cleaning people. We say, what's, what's the biggest time consumer of cleaning this church? And you know what everybody said? Vacuuming. Vacuuming. So we did a little research. Martha now cleans twice a week. Martha is a Roomba that runs around during the day and cleans the carpet for us, and we just empty it out. Now, you should also know this about Roomba. Martha. My wife's getting jealous. She's like, okay, we have Alexa at home. Now we have Martha at the church. You know, I'm like, no, honey, you're my only woman. I trust you. Trust, you know, that's it. But anyway, so, so Martha, we ha- you have to name your Roomba. And I thought, Mary, Martha, in the Bible, Martha's the one that did the serving. Yeah, okay, Martha. So that's how we named it. So anyway, Martha, by the way, FYI, when she cleans, she maps out everything that she's cleaned. And she maps out and X's out areas that are incredibly dirty, your than other areas. Well, this week, Martha ran in here. Some of you. And I know who you are. Okay? And we've talked to you about keeping your area cleaner. All right? Um, But seriously, it's that idea of, you know what? Look, as we... I don't even know how I got there. Um, Oh, I know, organization. As we go forward... We've got to organize things, and we've got to figure out ways. And, and so, so we have to put some systems in place that, that we haven't had before. And so we're going to need people to be okay with that, okay? We, got, we don't want to get it so organized that, we can't, that, we, that it becomes a standstill where, you know, okay, well, you've got to go talk to these six committees. Uh, we don't want to get to that point. But also, we don't want to get to the point that everybody can just do their own thing either. So, so we have to put some organization, so to speak, to stuff. And as we come, we're going to have to do a little more of that, and that's okay. See, the goal is, as we go forward, to figure out where God's at work and join God in what he's doing. That's the goal. The goal is to figure out, okay, God, where are you at work, and and how can we join you in what what you're doing at work? What systems or organization or things like that? You know, um, and and Camille, I'll tell you, we, we, we have some phenomenal people that have stepped up when it comes to making meals and stuff like that. We eat like kings on Tuesdays and Fridays up here. I'm telling you, we eat so well. Nobody's losing weight. And we're working hard. We should be losing weight. But we're not because everybody's just pitching in and doing that. And that is so, so, so important. But some things organization-wise have to change. Okay, Let me just share a little bit as a pastor and I'm going to try not to make this too long, but this is a great day to be able to do it, so let me do it. Um, there are parts of my job that I absolutely love. One of the parts of my job that I love is being able to go in and sit down at, 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 at a table with somebody and just talk. Just you be yourself, I be myself, and, and do that. One of the parts of my job that I love is being able to just visit like that. But let me tell you where we are right now as a church, Okay. We have over 100 families here right now. If I set up and said, I'm going to visit one family every week, it would take me almost two years to get through everybody. Um, And that's if I don't ever have to do any hospital calls, funeral calls, 
uh, you know, work project, anything like that. And it's to a point where we're going to have to organize some stuff, okay? And fortunately, one of the things that God has done is he's brought some incredible people who have some incredible ministry experience into this fellowship. And they are starting to come alongside to help me be able to do some of those things. So on hospital calls, a lot of times um, Carl and Sue will stop by. If I can't, I know I can call them and say, hey, can you swing by the hospital and see so-and-so? Because it's just, I can't get to it this week. I just can't. Um, Don and Nancy Dukes. Um, um, Don and Nancy. No, Don, Don and Barb Dukes. Don and Nancy Weiss. See, that's, I mean, that's what happened. Um, <laughs> age is another thing. Uh, but uh, but um, Don and Barb Dukes. Um, what they have started doing is when we have people who are shut-ins and things like that, uh, they have been actually going in, visiting them, and even taking communion over um, and having communion with them. And so we have those things that we're starting to do and starting to incorporate and those kinds of things because it has nothing to do with whether or not I want to do it. It just physically, you know, I, I'm not the kind of pastor who wants to, to hire another guy uh, to come on. We may have to one day, but it's kind of like the bivocational thing. I, you know, we're not going to do it till we have to. Um, it's, it's just not my thing. Um, I, I really think we can take care of one another, but it's going to take organization to do that. And so that's what we're doing. Um, uh, let me say this while we're talking about it, because these seven guys, sometimes people re- refer to them as, as deacons, and I think there are other passages that talk about that. I don't Actually, Philip and Stephen are more evangelists than they are deacons um, in the book of Acts. But um, when this church started, um, some of the guys who were leading it were new Christians. And when they studied the Bible, they didn't feel like they qualified to even be in leadership. So they didn't want to be called deacons, and they didn't want to be called elders. They said, just call us a church board. Uh, That was 26 years ago. And we thought about changing it, but honestly, it's it's just words on a piece of paper. Um. We have, in, in, we have a phenomenal group of people in leadership here who meet on at least a monthly basis and help us as, as we try to go forward as a, church, as a church. In some churches, the board and the church become adversarial, and there's kind of this back and forth. Um, that has not been true here for a long, long time. There's times in this history it has, but not for a long time. Um, the, the men who serve on the board here, and I can say this unequivocally, they have the minis- this ministry at, their, at the front of their heart. If I went to any one of them and said, hey, look, I think you would be better, the church would be better served if you were not on the board. Not a one of them that would say, okay, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to stay in it regardless. Their thing is, if it's better for the church, then I'll step off. Um, and they have been through us with thin, thin and thick. Actually, in, in a couple of weeks, um, actually in a couple of weeks, marks our 25th year here. So I've worked with some of these guys for over 25 years. Um, and they are friends, and they would do anything for this ministry. And so I, I value their input. If you think that they are yes people, 
Um, you can come up on a Tuesday and a Friday, and all of that will be put to rest, um, because that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. Um, and, and I want to say that because as we go forward, um, and, and let me also say this, in some churches, the, the, the men who are in leadership or the people who are in leadership, they're looked at as like the most spiritual people in the church. I know our board, and that's not true. Um, <laughs> because I know the pastor, and that's not true um, of him either. They're godly men who love the Lord, who will do anything for this ministry, okay? But as we went forward in the last couple of years, as we brought on people to the board, here's how we've made those decisions. We have looked at where we are as a church and where we see the Lord leading us and tried to figure out men who would fit into that position. We haven't necessarily taken the guys who are the most, the most experienced or the most spiritual or the most this or the most, what we've done. In fact, the last group of guys we run, um, we, needed, we needed somebody who had a financial background and we needed somebody who had younger kids, and that's who we brought on because that was where we were headed. That's what we needed. So we were trying to look forward as we, we went forward that way. So, you know, I want you to understand, you know, and, of course, if you're on our board, you have to be willing to preach for a service. So that eliminates a lot of people who go, I'm out, uh, you know, right? Because if I'm gone, like I say, if I go on, you've got to take it over. So um, I want to say that because that's where we are as a church, okay? And as we go forward, it is so important that we are all on the same page. And it is so important that we have this servant's attitude to serve one another. Here's what I think is amazing about this story. The people who came with the problem were the people who also came up with the solution. These weren't people who were just griping. These are people who are saying, you know, and if you've been around long enough for me, here's what you'll learn. You come to me and say, hey, pastor, you know what? I think we need something for the teenagers. You know what my first question is? So you want to do it? I mean, I mean, Josh and Alex are in there now. You know why Josh and Alex are in there? Because they said, I think we need something for the teenagers. I'm like, you want to do it? Yeah, we'll do it. Okay. Then we'll have some for dinner. Um, we're not going to let the program drive what happens. We're going to let the people drive what happens. You know? Um, you know, and again, look, if you see it, chances are good. It may be God's way of saying, why don't you get involved to help solve it too? See? There's a reason you see it. There's a reason a lot of people in here thought we needed windows. I'm never going to see that. I'm never going to see that. Okay? Because i got a whole different theory out there. But they did. Um, and I have to admit, it's kind of nice to come in and see all the nice light. And I'm thinking they'll look awesome when we put stained glass windows in them one day. No, no. Um, you know, but I mean, the idea is this. Look, look. If you see it, maybe one of the reasons you see it is because God wants you to be a part of the solution, too. And that's what I think is great about this. When, the, when these guys came to, you know, it wasn't like the disciples stood back and go, okay, you know what? Oh, I'm sorry, we didn't mean seven Hellenistic Jews. We meant seven Jew Jews. So go back and redo it again. You know, they put trust and confidence in them. And, 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 and that's what we do. And, and I want to I say that because as we go forward, folks, if our goal is to reach community for Jesus Christ, it's going to take more people to do it. And it can't be people, we can't have a church of people with their own agendas and their own little deals. 
we all got to be on the same page. And I think we are. That's why it's just so easy to preach right now. They don't have anybody come up and go, oh, you were talking about me. Well, if I am, I didn't know that. Huh? Every Sunday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I did, I didn't know that, you know. Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit ringing the bell, not me. Uh, but anyway, you understand what I'm saying? Look, this could have divided, this could have, this could have split the early church wide open. But it didn't. You know why? Because they were focused on staying on the same page. They were focused on solving on a problem. They were focused on going forward. And the text says, the word of God spread, the number of disciples multiplied, a great many even the priests were obedient to the faith. Why? Because they handled it well. And there's some great lessons for us. Don't let Satan get into your life and get you divisive with your spouse or your coworkers or your church or that kind of thing because that will start to eat away and destroy what God is wanting to do. So I end this way. The church needs organization, but it is an organism. It's a living, growing thing that has to be cared for. God uses people to do that. We all must do our part and serve in the areas that God impresses upon our hearts because the bigger picture is at play. And uh, let's keep it in mind as we go forward. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day. Thanks for the simple lesson but it's an important one. Lord, I am so thrilled to be a part of something like this where, Lord, it's clear that you're at work. It's clear that we're watching you work in lives, and it is so much fun to, to be in the middle of something like that. But, Lord, I'm also not foolish enough to think that Satan doesn't want to split this thing wide open. So, Lord, help us to be on our guard. Help us to be sensitive. Help us to stay on the same page. Help us as issues and things come up to solve them quickly and move forward. And when it's all said and done, Lord, may we be able to say that people have come to Christ because we have kept our focus on the main thing. These things we ask in your name. Amen.